0: welcome to Cloud and Clear. I'm really excited to have one of our great clients and uh, someone that's near and dear to my heart for many, many reasons. Uh, we'll get into that later, but please welcome to Cloud and Clear, uh, the CTO and founder of ReltiO, Manish Tasud. Hi Tony, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming along uh, on this journey with us. We love telling these stories and I think we have a very unique platform with which to do it through Cloud and Clear. And uh, these are, you know, the types of conversations that I think uh, the market wants to hear the most, which is actual stories of organizations doing amazing things, especially in this very challenging time, um, really powered by, by cloud and cloud-related technologies. But before we get into that, we've known each other for a few years now. I feel like we're getting to know each other even better uh, more recently, but... Um, but tell us about your, your career journey and how you came about the idea behind, behind Reltio and launching the company. I'd um, love to hear that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to give you a little bit of a background, um, we started Relteo in 2011. And uh, prior to starting Relteo, um, I was a product manager at uh, Informatica, came to Informatica through the acquisition Uh, of uh, another small startup called Cyperion, which was in the master data management space, later became the main product line for Informatica. But uh, most of my background has been in roles that are customer facing or in product management, working on creating data products that we can bring to customers and uh, a lot of what we are doing at RelQ was informed by the benefit of hindsight of uh, having created the previous generation capabilities, working with customers, seeing where they were running into friction with the previous generation technologies, uh, or even the previous generation models of buying software. Because as you know, you know you and I both have been living through this journey on the cloud um, and uh, the whole concept of subscription uh, type of business models versus the on-premise, you throw the software over the fence and then expect for customers to deliver magic with it. Yeah. Um, and having lived through that entire process uh, and cycle, it was very clear in 2011 that uh, the direction that the industry was going in was going to be primarily oriented towards the cloud. Was going to be about bringing data into the cloud and doing it at scale. So you know that that set of experiences really informed our ability to start RelQ in 2011.
0: So you've been in the data business for a long time. It seems more recent, maybe in the last five six years, that this sort of mantra that uh, you know uh, data is the new currency, data is the new oil. Data is very, very important, but you've known that far beyond uh, the last five years, right? Yeah, I like to
1: call it data is the new sunshine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like that. But but you but you were wise to it for 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 long time. Well, most most of
1: my career has been uh, working on data related technologies and capabilities. And, you know, going back uh, as early as uh, the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, you know, part of my experience was working with uh, very large customers where they were trying to integrate their front office and back office type of systems. And in all of those things, it wasn't that the technologies were not available to connect the dots across these different systems because you had lots of plumbing available. You had EAI tools, uh, ETL type of capabilities, uh, you know, the service bus type of capabilities, all of those things were there, but it was all about the point to point connections that you would have to stitch together. Mm-hmm. But none of these really solved the problem of, do you understand what's inside these systems? Because, you know, right. today I'm sure in your, uh, business you have, multiple applications that you use to interact and engage with the customers you have your sales set of systems and i say a set of systems because it's not just one single application that you use in your right. sales process right. tell me if you do because in that case you figured out the magic for doing that <laughs> but uh, you know today wherever you look it's multiple applications being used in sales multiple applications being used in marketing multiple applications being used in support multiple applications being used in customer success and across all of those you have to figure out who the customer is what are we doing with the customer how do we engage better with the customer and this problem has been around for a while just that uh, you know what used to happen before 15 or 20 years ago was the number of systems that you had to look at Was very small and narrow, and the amount of
0: data.
1: Uh, Amount of data was less, right? But and and there was also a time when people would think that if I had wall to wall one provider, my problems would go away magically. Mm -hmm. Not the case anymore. That vision has come and gone, and most of the customers are now looking at what we call this application sprawl. They're Multiple applications. Even even a small business like ours, relatively small, I should say, uh, because everything is relative <laughs> when you're comparing size. Uh, we have at least you know fifty to sixty different applications that we use across our business. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: For larger organizations, it's worse, right? It, it's a bigger number of applications. Yeah. Then you have data that comes from outside your organization either through partners that you work with or third-party sets of information that you buy typical scenario for marketing or for sales to do that buy lists and then try and combine that with the existing crm data know, mm-hmm. it's it's common across every industry although there may be data providers who are different in those industries and You know, over the career, uh, over my career, I've seen this problem go from a handful of systems to companies at scale using thousands of systems Mm. and then trying to understand, do we have the right customer information? Do we have the right supplier information? So, you know, going back to your question about, uh, you know, we sort of knew that this challenge was going to arrive and the magnitude of the problem was only going to grow in size was very clear and evident. And now with the capabilities that are available in the market today in order to execute on your business process, you are going to leverage the best possible, best best of breed type of combination of applications and business processes in order to get the job done but do you have the right information? And that is where it is converting it into the concept of the data is the new currency. Data is the new gold or the new oil or the sunshine, Mm -hmm. right? That has to be available, accessible, usable everywhere. And you have to have new ways and new methods of tapping into that best source of energy that you're going to have access to. And almost every business is now sitting on lots of information that they have curated over a long period of time but how do you get better value out of as uh, out of it is the big question that is staring everybody in the face
0: so this this moniker this name of you know master data management um when was that born
1: master data management has been around for a long time and uh, you know it has gone through its own various cycles of uh, reinvention. so uh, it was around back in the uh, you know 90s uh, as soon as multiple systems started cropping up you know this need for do I have a single source of truth for a certain piece of information was the type of question that started to get asked hmm. um, back then it wasn't called out as master data management. The term master data management came about in the mid 2000s, Uh, Gartner proposed it as a combination of that you will need this for customer information. You will need this concept for supplier information. You will need this for employee information. You will need this for product information and almost every other type of entity that matters most from a data perspective for your business to run on. And that, that got us to the concept of master data management. And uh, since then, it has been an evolution where even now, this concept of what has to fit into the definition of master data management is leading to the expansion of the concept itself. Because you know, a decade ago, it was just about matching name, address type of information, saying here's my master record that you should use in data warehousing. But now customers are moving towards this concept of a 360 degree view that will fuel the engagement and the experience that you're trying to deliver. And it doesn't matter if it is digital experience or if it is your customer experience that you're trying to improve in an omni-channel type of a manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the personalization that you can bring to the table or the way in which you can engage with your audience that has to be driven by how much do you know about them? How much do you understand in depth and detail and understand it from the perspective of what's going on across your business? Because if something's not going well in support, your salesperson needs to know, right? Connecting the dots across these different engagement paths and channels that you have is becoming the key need. And that's leading to the expansion of the definition of the concept of MDM where it's no longer just about the name and address information, it's about additional attribution, about the relationships between different types of entities, such as people to people, people to organizations, organizations to organizations, organizations to products, and then any kind of interaction that is taking place with those entities at the center of this kind of a universe.
0: uh, This seems, I mean, it's more relevant than now, not only because of the amount of information, the number of systems, but I think also in terms of customer experience, expectations have yes. changed. It used to be okay to get, uh, you know, your data, your master data updated once a month or something like this. Probably at some point, yeah, in the '90s or 2000s. But now it's like real time, comprehensive, accurate, and so much of business sort of process, strategy, sales strategy, marketing strategy support strategy has to be driven around, around all those attributes in real time and i think it's just a lot of i think consumer tech yeah. has um change enterprise expectations you know so big <laughs> time expectations yeah and so um so that's 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 super interesting that you're so so ahead of this trend uh, putting you in the position to to formulate this concept around realtio but look realteo is not only special because it's cloud, what I really like you to articulate is, you have some amazing public customer references and wins and the logos on your website are just, they keep going and going and going. So there must be something really special in the way that Realteo handles MDM. It's not just because it's cloud. Um, and how do, you, how do you articulate that value proposition or what differentiates Realty from from others?
1: So Tony, that's a really interesting question because the challenge with MDM uh, has been that it has always had a huge promise of the value that it can deliver. But most of the friction has been in how do you get to that answer or to the promised land or to the holy grail that is defined by the concept of MDM. Mm -hmm. And in most of the cases, if we look at the legacy uh, technologies and the capabilities that were in the market before the friction points used to be, uh, n- nobody, you know, when they started a project around this type of a uh, concept, nobody knew how many more systems they would have to integrate into the mix. Right. And if you don't know how many more systems you're going to bring in, you don't know what are the data model implications that you're going to have to encounter. In fact, you don't even know the data models that you would have to encounter, right? So in that process, the previous generation technologies were sort of uh, opposed to the entire construct that they had to solve because the first step in those deployments was lock down a data model that will live for the next 15, 20 years. Mm. And That created a rigid structure that, you know, you work on this project for 12 months, you roll it out, and then suddenly your business comes back to you and says, oh, by the way, we need these, these, and these extensions, and suddenly everybody has to scramble to figure out, okay, now I'm going to spend the next 12 months just going through the revision because
0: the business has evolved and changed, it's like the Y two K problem. The year needs four digits, not two. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, we didn't think about that in the fifties or whatever.
1: Yeah. So, so that was sort of the you know the crux of the problem, and that's where this whole concept met a lot of friction in order to get off the ground. And having learned from the benefit of the hindsight. Uh, you know, having gone through the experience of those kinds of things and having seen where customers would run start running into a wall, especially as they started to expand the number of systems that they wanted to integrate, or the amount of data that they wanted to bring or the attribution that they wanted to expand. The first thing that we did in order to solve this problem, you know from the ground up in a completely different manner, was recognize the fact that we will never know how many more systems come into play. We will never know what is the data model or the cardinality of the attribution that we will have to bring in. So defining a flexible structure that was always going to be able to accommodate that information was the key part of innovation that we put into place. And then on top of that, we started to layer the ability to do what I call as the second fundamental Aspect of uh, you know the technology that is needed for solving this problem, entity resolution, making sure that we can take disparate sets of data, aggregate them into a one single canonical representation or you know sort of a, a loosely coupled structure, and then resolve that. Tony. Uh, from this system versus T Sofian from the second system is the same person mm-hmm. or Coke and Coca-Cola are the same companies. How do you do that kind of disambiguation and do it in real time, not just in batch, right? No, Nobody has the time for 30 days later.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, everybody's trying to shrink their time to value to be able to find out that this is the same customer who's coming yeah. in through multiple channels right. within milliseconds. Right. So that, that became the, the starting point for us as to how do we create the technology and the foundation that will scale to that kind of a challenge.
0: So on the and- end- resolution front, cause that's really interesting. I mean, um, so much of data engineering, and even some extent data science is around just like data cleanup, right? Yeah. Um, and resolution of, of just different ways of representing what we really the same thing, or maybe even worse, like avoiding the false positive of thinking they're the same thing when they're actually not um, is, is to what extent are you? Is there sort of machine learning and AI aspects involved in automating this into a real time capability?
1: So we use a combination of both machine learning uh, as well as some of the uh, previously used rule-based approaches uh, mm-hmm. to solve this problem. Because the customers that we work with uh, the focus on the accuracy of the results that we produce from an entity resolution perspective, you know, matching and then merging two patient records together is, a, is going to lead to a life and death type of an outcome. Sure. So yeah. we, we have to make sure that the accuracy is extremely high. And the way we go about that process is that we will run a rules-based process that takes care of any kind of probabilistic and deterministic type of matching. But on top of that, we provide a verification with machine learning-based concepts. And there, there is an interplay between those. Because initially, when you start, machine learning is validating the accuracy versus in turn, it is also training the model to get better over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So that it can start returning the results right out of the gate as more data is brought in. So that's how we have used the combination of both both of these worlds together in the foundation that we've created
0: with Relteam. That makes, that makes sense. Um, so just to, to make it real for, for our listeners, um, What's a great, you know, customer story that you like to tell? as a real example of uh, practical applications of MDM on your platform. Yeah, I'll
1: I'll start with the uh, one example. Uh, you know, uh, for all those those of you who have pets, you're probably familiar with the Petco brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, Petco is a customer, and uh, when they started their omni-channel. A uh, journey. They try to look at how do they bring together all of the information across all of these touch points that they have in store, e-commerce. You know, veterinary services. And now they are also providing insurance. Uh, how do they tie the customer information together? Because for them, these were independent lines of business. Mm-hmm. And they needed to better engage and tailor their services for their customer, not only to provide a better experience, but also to be able to do the cross-sell of these services sure. in a more effective manner. Right. Understand who the customer is. And not just the customer, but you know, in their case, the service is actually getting delivered to the pet that you have.
0: Right. And you so, can have multiple pets.
1: We can have multiple pets. So they came up with the concept of pets and their pet families and the pet owners. And they defined these concepts inside Relteo where they're, you know, across any type of touch point onboarding the information, but at the same time, instantaneously able to understand if we already have the information about this particular pet, because this pet was brought in for Grooming services versus the veterinary services, or the pet owner, who's the you know person who's going to pay for these services, uh, you know, have they engaged and interacted uh, through the e-commerce channel or not before, and now they're walking in the store for some of these services that we provide there, yeah, and being able to arrive at that triangulation <clears throat> in real time so that they can immediately recognize and tailor that experience for you based on the past history of engagement with you. And so that's that's one example of how uh, one of the customers is applying it. I'll uh, take another example. <clears throat> Sinios, uh is a customer in the life sciences space. Um, Sinios is a clinical research organization. They lead a lot of the clinical trials that happen in the life sciences space, especially when any life sciences company is trying to launch a new drug. But in order to go through the clinical trial, you have to uh, take it through the process of uh, figuring out which sites should we select for the clinical trial, which investigators should we recruit into the clinical trial before you even start recruiting patients into the clinical trial right right? and all of these are driven by certain sets of criteria uh, as a part of that planning process but in order to arrive at the right selection process and procedure they have tons of data that has been aggregated you know across multiple clinical trials that they have run with different investigators at different sites they have new information that is constantly coming in because there is new research going on in different areas. There are different, uh, experts that are coming up in, in these areas that, that are going to be relevant from a, a clinical trial perspective. <clears throat> and that is where they came to the conclusion that for them to make data driven decision, instead sort of treating each one of these clinical trials as individual things that they do. What if they were to aggregate and unify all of the data that they have about the previous clinical trials that they have run, the previous sites that they have worked with, the previous investigators, and any of the new emerging researchers are you know, experts in these areas, because a lot of that data sits outside their firewall. So mm-hmm. they have to either buy that information or gather that um, you know, from all the research that is being made available. And unify this in one single foundation so that then they can drive the decisions towards the new clinical trials that they want to launch and make data-driven decisions to select new sites and new investigators that they would enroll in those processes. And that's where they're using Relteo to bring together this type of information and accelerate their ability to take drugs through the clinical trial process.
0: It's quite... uh... Critical that it's done right, and there's a, it's very very regulated, right? That whole process. highly highly
1: regulated.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. So it seems like a pretty wide wide spectrum of, of vertical industries. I can also tell by by, by your website uh, of all the different logos. It's it's very broad, which is which is fantastic to see. Um, but it feels like, and you know, we have a certain angle on on what we feel like is a massive compression of transformation happening in the midst of COVID-19 and the pandemic and everything else, the challenge to traditional business models is is intense. It sounds like, um, you're probably also very busy right now.
1: (laughs) Yes, we are. And, uh, you know, um, the, the current scenario that we are all going through, um, one of the thing that has been uh, highlighted by it is the need for digital transformation right if If you were already on that path, then you want to get to the outcome faster. If yeah. you were thinking that you would do it over the course of the next three years, then you have to bring it in, you know, by two and a half years and do it in the next six months or less. If you want to survive as a company, you do it's 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 an existential crisis for everybody. Yes, right. Yeah. And that is accelerating the timelines towards the digital transformation that everybody has to embrace and drive. And, you know, just as a few examples, um, there are, um, when we talk about customers like Petco, they have to overnight deliver on the curbside services, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. There, There wasn't any time, we have customers like Subway where they have to pivot and provide that curbside pickup for the service that they deliver. Right. When you order a sandwich, you can't go into the store, but you can have it ready outside the store. So those those are the types of things that people had to turn on a dime and deliver to, and in parallel also figure out the acceleration of everything that they had planned for the next three years and bring that in. That's right. And yeah. that that is causing the the need for them to have data available accessible ready for real-time consumption and collaboration across all of these engagement channels because
0: that's where the entire industry is headed my my thesis is that uh well we're, we're pretty sure we don't know when the new normal will happen and what it looks like we don't know nobody knows that's reason in itself to do it i mean we all went home mid-March thinking this is a four or five week thing. Right. And then it's like, maybe it's a three month thing. And they're like, look at us, we're still at home. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I have a thesis that regardless of when it goes back and meaning it's safe to go outside and, you know, restaurants, whatever, um, the safety protocols are lifted. I feel like some consumer behavior will have changed permanently.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, You know, just look at uh, how we are working today. All right. The normal natural tendency, uh, you know, for all of us is to think about going back to the office. But I think the realization that work can be done in this manner is going to lead to a change in that workplace setup. Right. It's not that Everybody's going to, well, a human tendency is that you want people around you and you will want to uh, go back to some of the old ways. But at the same time, the realization that this path is also possible is going to create a new balance in that equation. Work from home or work from any place or any location is going to become acceptable. Right. Right. So
0: it'll be a 50-50 type of a split as we move forward. For sure. And look, um I use my wife as an example cuz I married someone who's not very technical. Res- generally resists technology, which is ironic, but I, I kind of like that we're not in the same profession sometimes. Um she used to completely refuse to use grocery delivery. She thought grocery delivery was ridiculous. She loved going into the store and smelling yeah. the Berries, I guess, you know, choosing, hand picking the tomatoes. Um, and then, you know, it became less appealing to go and she started using the Instacarts and other services. And now she's like, that's really great. Right. So, like, you know, Subway may always have to now offer curbside pickup. Yes. But if people can go back to the store, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that channel is not disappearing because people like it and it's convenient. Telemedicine, and there's all these other cases that like these are permanent changes in uh, consumer behavior. So those who go through the transformation now will be set for any future scenario. And I think that's strategically important because as you said, those that were further down the journey had a huge advantage. And whether it's uh, MDM or other strategies that if they've already figured it out, they were truly prepared for everything, or any.
1: And and I'm sure you're seeing this in the acceleration of the adoption of the cloud in
0: general. For sure, for sure, totally correlated, totally correlated. Yeah. Because much like you know, uh, there's something special about the cloud that makes your platform more capable, more useful, more affordable, all these other things, or just pure cost savings for some customers, like the both of those roads can lead through cloud and do lead through cloud. So we're seeing, we're seeing similar trends. Um, and I, w- I want to go back and, and, uh, revisit how I started this conversation with, which is like you and Realty hold a special place in my heart. Um, it was, I think three years ago, uh, ish that, um, uh, the GCP business was, was actually still very nascent, um, for us. Yeah. We've been partners with Google for 14 years, but we started with, you know, maps and G Suite and enterprise search, et cetera. G Suite was, I think, uh, very nascent for us, but also frankly, frankly, just on the cusp of becoming mainstream. All right. Before Thomas Korean came on board and, and it was all, you know, different world. Right. And we did the first ever sort of a, a GCP construct deal with reltio first one ever. And I think it was the first partner one anywhere in the world. Um, and it was quite remarkable we learned a lot and i always say this i appreciate your patience and flexibility through our mutual learnings yeah <laughs> but, um, but there was a very particular so so i'll be forever grateful and put it out there it's just how i think but um but there was a very particular reason that you wanted to adopt gcp because you didn't start on google cloud like most digital natives born 10 years ago, five years, didn't start on Google cloud. Um, and as opposed to telling my version of the story of the why originally, I'd like to hear from you. I don't know if we have the same story, but obviously you are the authority on this. What was the reason three years ago uh, adopting GCP as an option or for part of your platform needs was, was necessary?
1: Well, uh, Tony, first of all, sara has been a great partner for us. So, you know, thank you for that. And, um, uh, you know, we started our journey towards GCP, as you mentioned, three years ago, but there were a couple of, uh, key reasons for that. Uh, not just one, um, uh, the first one was having started in 2011, um, uh, you know, the first option that we started with was AWS. We for were sure. born in the cloud. You know, we started running our services there. And as we built out our platform and capabilities, we started to see the evolution that was taking place in other areas. And the set of services that Google Cloud was starting to bring to life for the type of work that we do, uh, you know, which is data Intense type of a footprint, managing, you know, overall uh, in our platform about uh, close to six petabytes of information and it keeps growing every day. So with, with that kind of size and scale and the need for real-time delivery of data, we are have always been very interested in looking at what's going on in the, you know, the space outside our capabilities. And what are the new technology type of evolution that is taking place? And GCP has been at the forefront of some of those developments. And bringing it to life in a more uh, managed service type of a construct in the sense that it's not just about raw compute where you spin up your own instances, but services like BigQuery or Big You know, those are types of things that are making this entire evolving landscape very interesting for us. So uh, seeing that kind of a directional shift that was starting to take place and the type of services coming up, we saw this as a, a great set of technical capabilities to enhance our platform with. So that was that was the first reason. The second reason that aided our shift in that direction was uh, that we also at that same time were talking to Google about being a customer of the RelTO capabilities. And uh, that created the next uh, point of synergy where uh, that became the, the path where we would take our platform into the Google Cloud. And then the last part of this was as a software as a service provider, Looking at some of the financial implications uh, that a uh, provider like Google Cloud brings when we are trying to figure out how best to manage our cash runway, you know what are the implications of how much would we have to give up front versus you know that uh, uh, versus the path where we pay as we go and utilize the capabilities, those types of things also made it attractive for us to, look at the gcp direction and make a longer term commitment towards it so those those were sort of the three key reasons that drove us uh, in the direction of uh, making the choice of working with gcp
0: well i, I am, i'm happy to see that it continues to work well uh, three years is a long time in this yeah. ecosystem, in, in as far as evolution um and you were i think ahead of your time in a lot of ways and going big on gcp like i'm biased we're very biased we just sold our Microsoft business a year and a half ago i feel like any digital native startup today after the decisions being made by engineers will choose gcp every time it's just better faster standards based they wrote you know the standards they do have mag- magical science fiction like Services like Big Table, BigQuery, which you know other other hyperscalers don't have, uh, but but I, we also see you know sort of commercial market pressure and shift. And tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I also believe that allowing um, some of your customers to deploy on on GCP was also sort of a market commercial requirement in some cases because of. You were getting so, you know, so you're seeing so much success in the retail vertical and, you know, they have a bias towards certain clouds.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have seen that kind of a bias from certain customers uh, in retail and also in healthcare. Right. So those those are two areas where they're starting to express their preference for a particular flavor of the cloud that they want to be on. Uh, the other aspect that we have seen growing is this notion of uh, the mix and match because there are certain capabilities where Google is doing more work than others uh, You know, when it comes to AI, ML type of capabilities that can be uh, available or accessible. So those are some of the reasons where as customers are building out their top to bottom data stacks, they're thinking about the choice of best of breed type of capabilities that they want to mix and match yeah and the fact that google is also at the same time investing in the container technologies that that is also a compelling reason why uh, customers are starting to look at this in a more best of breed type of capability orientation and yeah. uh, making some of the decisions along.
0: Look, there was a lot of standards, um, eucalyptus, and all these other things, and of course, Hadoop on the data side, and then of course, you know, uh, VMware deserves a lot of credit for virtualization technology, and then Docker came out, and but like the world has standardized on certain things, the Kubernetes being one of them. Yeah. Yes, will run on other clouds, but like Google wrote the white paper and open. <laughs> yeah so they're probably gonna run it better and actually in in practice they do um for all sorts of reasons they've been running on some version of kubernetes you know for probably a, a decade you know yeah. let call it borg or something borg. Yeah, wow, reminds me from time to time i had borg a long time ago at google um yeah and, and i think look you, you still have to be multi-cloud and that makes sense a lot of digital natives who are able to deploy in the same a way that you're able to deploy meaning you can choose your you know cloud in some cases choose your region um we're having a you know a huge growth in our digital native customer base um uh, because they're, they're even if they start on aws at some point they, they they want to diversify for technology reasons for commercial reasons but also offering their customers choice yeah where they want to deploy where they want to you know, how's their data, that kind of stuff. So we're seeing um, a similar trend in the enterprise. You know, if enterprise customers started in cloud and it felt like Azure and AWS were the only option many years ago, they're um, they're diversifying. And of course, Google's approach around Anthos, giving you, you know, you know, sort of build once, deploy anywhere um, capabilities, bringing it to fruition is is, is being attractive really? enterprise too.
1: Yeah, um, those are those are some key technologies and the evolution that is critical for the future ahead. Because it is, yes. you know, whether we whether we like it or not, it is going to be a multi-cloud type
0: of orientation that everybody will embrace. Absolutely, and that's good. It's good for customers. Where do you feel like the future of MDM as a uh, discipline or the market or realto? Um, again, you've announced some big big. Um, Changes that are you know positive, um, yes. meaning you're seeing tons of success, and our relationship continues to grow our relationship with Google continues to grow. But um, this year is so funny because it's actually it's not anything you can ever model or predict that has happened to all of us. But from this point forward, what do you see in the next you know twenty four, thirty six months?
1: Uh, in the next uh, a few years to come, one of the things that I'm passionate about and uh, uh, you know, would like to drive forward is the democratization of access to information. And this is where, especially in the enterprise context, where most of the data has been locked away in applications, in different business functions, the ability to create the synergies and drive faster towards those outcomes is going to be heavily influenced by the ability to bring data to life, right? Really using it as the currency that we operate with. Uh, Not just in terms of how you can monetize the information that you have, but also how do you collaborate better with the information that you have being the bigger part of the equation. And that's going to be where we are going to see some big changes as we move forward. Because not only are people making the transition into the cloud, you know, almost every company out there has a plan yeah. to be in the cloud if they're not already in the cloud. But the next evolution is going to be around the concept of the data being available as an API so that any business process can plug into it, use it, contribute into it, and then consume information back from it. Every experience that we drive is going to have access to that type of information. Every application is going to have access to that information, and that that time is coming. That is very real and evident at this point in time, given where we are, both with the technologies and the needs that we see in the market. So that's, that's uh, in summary, my prediction that we are going to see more evolution on the data front, as we move forward,
0: yeah, we see it ourselves. I think that's very, very right. And we, we again, we approach this market slightly from a different angle. But you know, infrastructure modernization and migration is still probably the largest part of what we do. Uh, but the data work, the data engineering work, uh, Manish is the fastest growing part of what we do. So it's clear mm-hmm. that that comes usually next in people's cloud journey. But also, it's where um, it's where the real business value gets unlocked, I think, is, is, is getting data in a position where it can drive decisions. It can behave in a way that's servicing line of business.
1: And mind you, real time decisions. Real time. <laughs> that's, that's the key. Not 30 days later,
0: it's <laughs> now. <laughs> that's, 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 that's present today, and I think going to become more of a reality. And if you can't deliver services that way to your customers, if you don't know your customers that well, In the future, you're not going to be able to compete. And I think that's just the market reality. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. I love speaking with you. Great catching up. Thank you for your continued uh, partnership. Looking forward to many, many years ahead of working together. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud & Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your
1: favorite podcast app.